Praise the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to grab them and keep them handy. We're going we're gonna to move around a little bit today from place to place. Uh, but before uh, we go to the Word, I want to pray for you today, if you don't mind. Father, I thank you that this lovely congregation has gathered here today to receive your Word into their lives. God, I am, I am convinced and I know that you are doing a thing right now that is positive in nature and forward in advancement and that we are at a place where we don't have to look back except to gain wisdom from the experiences that we've had in life and to apply that wisdom to our current situation. Lord, I believe, and you told us a couple of weeks ago that you're at the door knocking and opening doors for us that will be effectual and that, Lord, we can move through those doors in our lives and see new things take place and victories uh, take their place in our lives like never before. God, I'm, I am so convinced of this. But, Lord, I also understand that when we come to a place like this, that the enemy knows that he has to put forth another effort to try to thwart that victory and try to get us off course and to treat, try to get our minds on other things. And so today as we focus upon the message that you put in my heart today, I pray that you'll help me to communicate effectively in such a way that your word will go forth. And Lord God, I'm not as concerned about the shout today as I am about understanding and knowledge and wisdom getting rooted in the hearts of your people. Because oftentimes it's easy to shout. But Lord, we get ourselves in situations where we have to apply knowledge and we can't do it because we don't have it. And sometimes, Lord, we need to take a step back and open our minds and apply our mind to learning so that when it comes in and takes root in our mind, then the next time the devil tries to come against us, the light bulb will go on and we will be able to say, aha, I see what you're trying to do. And you can't do that because here's what God says in his word. And his word is alive and active in me and has allowed me to discern, devil, what you're trying to do. So today I don't receive that from you. You're my enemy and you're, you're out to kill me and to steal from me and to destroy me. So I don't receive anything from you today. What I receive today is the divine activity of the Holy Spirit of God that resides within me. And that power will be more than enough for me to stand in victory and move forward to that place of victory that God has for me. So Lord, help me today. I know what you want me to say. I just need the, the anointing to be able to say it in such a way that it can be received so that when these people leave here today, they may not be sweating from shouting, but Lord, they will be shaking in anticipation knowing that this is a transformational moment in my life. And I'm about to go out of here today in much better shape than I was when I came in because I'm equipped with knowledge and I am empowered with the Spirit of God. Amen. Now, Lord, open our hearts and our minds to receive it today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Last week we came in here and man, we had a powerful, powerful service last week. I mean, I had expected it. I anticipated it because I had in my spirit all week long what God had been saying to me. And I knew that the words that were coming out of my mouth last week were coming forth prophetically. And that there were individuals in the house last week who needed to hear what was being spoken because God is bringing you and taking you to a transformational moment in your life. He accepts you when you come to him as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. He doesn't want you to continue living and walking in the muddiness and the messiness of sin. He wants his amazing grace to take you to a place of victory that only he can provide for you. And so as we were talking about this, we came to Exodus chapter 14 and verses 13 and 14, and it says, Fear not and stand firm and see the salvation. That word salvation there means deliverance. It doesn't just mean a little bit of deliverance. It means absolute, total, and final deliverance. In other words, what you're about to see today has the potential to not just change your life a little bit, but to change your life forever and to put a final stamp on some area of your life where the enemy has been trying to defeat you. He says, stand still and don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the salvation or that kind of total and complete deliverance of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And then I said to you, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And just about that time, this place just erupted. This place just kind of started getting a spirit on us. My goodness, I've been dealing with this junk and dealing with this situation and dealing with that person and dealing with this, this, this whatever for so long. And I feel in my spirit today that what God is saying is, is that I'm not going to have to deal with this any longer. That he is going to allow me to have the kind of deliverance that puts a stamp of finality on this thing and that I will not see these Egyptians any longer. Now, David, I sound a little loud today. I don't, you don't normally hear preachers say that very often, but make sure I don't get too loud out there, but keep me right where I am in the monitors. I don't want anybody to, to miss this today because you're mad because I'm preaching too loud. Amen. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. You only have to keep your mouth shut, stand still, be firm, and let God do what God is about to do. And when he gets finished, he's going to have you positioned in such a place where that situation is going to be marked final in your life. 
Now, when I got home that afternoon, I started, my phone started blowing up. I mean, people, in fact, before I even got out of the house on Sunday last week, I had various different understandings of what it was that I was saying and, and different people who perceived it in different ways. One person said to me, I'd really like to believe that, but I know that when I get home, my Egyptian is going to be sitting on my couch. I, I, I heard other people say, I, I would love to believe that, but I'm just not sure that the situation that I'm thinking of is ever going to change. I've been believing for God to change this for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. I've been waiting and hoping and praying. And, and honestly, I'm at a place where I, it sounded good when you were saying it. It made me get chill bumps. It made me feel good about it. But now that I know that I have to leave this environment, environment and go out of this house and face this thing, I wonder if my Egyptian really will be dead. And then I had others who said, well, I believe it. I'm not really excited about it just yet because I don't see how it's going to take place. I feel like I have to do this and I need to do that and this needs to happen and that needs to happen before the, the goal of deliverance can take place. And, and there was this sense that I'm excited about it. I'm generally positive about it, but I'm just not sure. And then there were those who just did not believe or they were doubtful that God would do it, not that he couldn't do it, but that he would do it in their lives. And as I went home that afternoon, I, I struggled in my spirit. Number one, I said, did I communicate effectively, Lord, what you were wanting me to say to your people today? Did I say it in such a way that they could get it in their spirit? And the Lord spoke to me and he said, son, he said, you've got to be patient like I am with my people. He said, if you'll remember, even in the instance of the Israelites here, that they're emotionally up and down. We talked about that last week, how that we're emotionally up and down and in and out, and we're full of faith one day and no faith at all the next. And, and, and we see it on one day, and the next day we don't see it at all. And if we allow our emotions to drive our actions we will find ourselves in and out of faith, right and left of it all the time. When what we've got to learn how to do is say, if God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I don't know how it will happen. I don't know when. It may not happen the way that I've got it pictured in my mind. But I know that if God said it, I can trust that it will take place. Now today I want to follow up last week's message with with a message that it, it, it's, a little in, it's a little bit more instructional because what I want and I believe what God wants for you is to learn how to take a word like that and not just feel good about it, but actually apply it to your life. Because if you don't ever apply what you're hearing, then it's not doing you any good. If you're going to activate faith, it comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. But the blessing then comes in the doing of what you know that God is calling you to do. If you don't do it, it will not help you. It will not bless you. So today, I want to talk to you and give you some practical insight 
on what to expect now that God has promised that this thing in your life is going to be defeated by my power and you're not going to deal with it anymore. Let me, let me begin by reminding you that in Scripture there are various ways for us to relate to this idea of getting a word. Now, you know, it's interesting that we Pentecostals, we always want a word. Can you give me a word? I want to go to this revival because this guy or this gal will give me a word. I need a word. Well, let me tell you, you've, all, you've got all the word that you will ever use in this lifetime active in your life right now. There are two primary ways that we interact with this word. The first is what we call the Logos word. The Logos typically refers to the written and recorded word as delivered through individuals who were moved upon by the Spirit of God. It is meant to be considered within the context of history and is given with specific intent. That's the Logos word. In other words, it is represented by this book that I hold in my hand right now. Everything in here, we believe, is the actual word of God as he spoke it into the lives of individuals and they were anointed by him to record the word and to put it in place so that we would have historical information and so that we would have uh, supernatural information and revelation of God. So there is the Logos of God. At any time, any moment of any day, you can go to this book and you begin to read it and the Word of God is downloaded into your spirit. As you begin to read this book, you will be strengthened in your faith. You will know that what I am reading right now is God's Word to me. Liz and I have been uh, working on uh, this little blog that we've been doing lately and she's been helping me write it. And, and what we've been trying to do is stay with the annual reading program that you have in your app. So when we write, we're writing concerning a passage of scripture that is found in our Bible reading in our church app. So we, uh, she said, oh, I'm, I, you know, I wrote... Uh, on this particular topic because she said when I pulled up the church app, she said there was a whole bunch of Leviticus in there. And she said, I'll just be honest, she said, I wasn't going to write nothing about Leviticus. Uh, you know, if you've read much in the book of Leviticus, you know it can be pretty laborious. I mean, it can, it can take a lot of, out of you to, to stay with it and stay focused. But even in the midst of a book like Leviticus, God is speaking and revealing to us things that we need to know. For instance, this week I wrote about how messy sin can get in our lives, talking about the priests and how they had to slay the animals and they had to put the blood in particular places and in some instances they had to take the blood and splash it on the altar and then they had to take the entrails of the animal and the brain and different parts of the animal and take it outside of the camp and put it out there and set it on fire. Man, have you ever smelled the burning flesh 
of an animal or the entrails of an animal. I'm growing up in farm communities. I smelled it all the time. It's not pretty. And they had to do it on a regular basis so that their sin could be accounted for. But I'm thankful today that even though sin is messy, grace is amazing. Amen. Thank God we don't have to slay animals anymore and put their blood on the altar and all of those different things. But God has provided a way for us to gain access into the Holy of Holies by Jesus Christ, His Son, who shed blood one time for all of us so that those days of messy sin can be over. So the Logos, Word of God, is very important to us. But then there is also what we refer to as the Rhema Word of God, which typically refers to a confirming unction of the Spirit in relation to a specific command or principle as described in Scripture. It must always be connected to the original intent of the author but can be referenced by the Holy Spirit to speak to a contemporary set of circumstances. Now let me explain to you what what we mean by that. We know that every word that is written was written under the anointing of God as it flowed to an individual and there is one interpretation for every scripture and the interpretation is that which God intended when he had that author to write those words. God had an intent behind those words. And so we cannot change the intent of the words that God spoke into these individuals. However, the rhema word of God is taking those same words that have a specific intent and a specific meaning by God and allows us to apply the principle that is found in that passage to our lives today. It is much more than historical, but it is practical in meaning to our lives. That's the reason I can go back to the Old Testament and read something like Psalm chapter 23 that says, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. And I can realize that the psalmist was speaking specifically concerning the intent of God, but thank God I can apply those same principles found in Psalm chapter 23 to my life today. So there is the Logos word and there is the Rhema word. So now in our message last week, we discussed the promise that was given through it to Israel through Moses concerning the deliverance from those pesky Egyptians. It was a personal word to those Israelites who were standing there on the verge of deliverance. This word was given to those who were living out that situation in that moment and at that time in history. So as those Israelites are standing there and they've got water on one side and they've got Pharaoh coming from the the backside, the scripture says that Pharaoh had selected some of his select individuals, some of the ones that he wanted to come and to recapture the Israelites. And so they're bearing down. 
And God says to Moses, tell my people to not be afraid to stand firm and watch me go to work because those Egyptians that you see right now, you will never see again. Because the Lord will fight for you and bring deliverance to you. What a powerful, powerful word. And it was for them specifically. It was for them historically. It was intended to raise their spirits and bring faith to them in this moment when surely it looks like that defeat was on the radar rather than deliverance. Let me tell you today, don't you look at a worldly radar to determine where you're standing. You look to the delivering power of the Word of God and say it doesn't look no matter what it looks like in the natural realm, what matters is what I see in my spirit because God has spoken concerning this situation. So while it was for them personally, it is applied to us principally today. So when we leave, we can understand that while the word these Egyptians you will never see again was spoken specifically to them, it, it also confirms that there are things in our lives that do to us the same types of things that the Egyptians were doing to the Israelites. In other words, the Egyptians held them in bondage. The Egyptians worked them hard. The Egyptians kept them worried. The Egyptians kept them under their thumb. The Egyptians was always on the back, on their back. The Egyptians were a very present uh, presence in their lives, a very real presence, and kept them constantly in a state of fear and emotional frustration. The Egyptians did that. But God said to them, this day, those Egyptians, Egyptians will no longer be able to have that role in your life again because I am going to take care of them on your behalf. And when we came in today, there's no question in my mind that there were many of you who brought things into your life today that are represented by an Egyptian spirit. Now, I, again, if there are any Egyptians in the house today, forgive me for not being politically correct. But in the Old Testament, the Egyptians represented evil. They represented the anti-God spirit. The anti-Christ spirit, if you will. So you may have come in here with Egyptians in your life. And you may have thought, I thought pastor said last week that these Egyptians were going to die. Well, guess what? There are more Egyptians back home that will take up where those Egyptians left off. But God will still allow your victory to stand as it is. You will fight different battles. You will fight different enemies. You will fight different attitudes. You will fight different actions. I told you a couple of weeks ago about how God delivered me from the bondage of alcohol. And he did it instantaneously. I mean, one day I was drinking and the next day that Egyptian was gone. God gave me that moment of reset in my life and I have not had to deal with that again in my life. But guess what? 
There have been other Egyptians that I've had to face. There have been other battles that I've had to fight. So when we get a word like this, and we come to a place like this, there are typically four attitudes or mentalities that we can have about a word from God. And I want to go through those quickly with you today. And then we're going to pray with you today. These four things are things that you need to understand. Now, a lot of this has come out of my experience as a pastor. I know that I look young and handsome and debonair and suave and all that kind of stuff. But the truth is, I'm, I'm getting old. I've been doing this a few years. I mean, we, Donna and I were talking about it the other day. We got married one, one weekend and started ministry the next weekend. So we've been doing it a long time. And I've seen in various ways these types of things begin to materialize in the lives of God's people. And the first response to a word from the Lord is sometimes doubt. Doubt. Now, I I went to the dictionary because I wanted to understand this word doubt. And the dictionary says, David, give me a little bit more back in the monitor if you will. Thank you. The definition of doubt is a feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. Let me say that again. A feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. In other words, you hear it, you want to believe it, but there's enough doubt that it prevents you From being able to step fully into the word that God has for you. And we find ourselves, rather than walking in faith, we find ourselves walking instead in doubt. You remember Thomas in the New Testament? When they told him, Jesus is alive. He's alive and well. We saw him. I will not believe unless I see it with my own eyes. You know anyone like that? I don't care what you tell me. I don't care what your report is. I must see him with my own eyes or I will not believe. And of course, we know the rest of the story. Jesus comes to Thomas in a very intimate and private moment. And he says, Thomas, he said, I want you to come here. He said, take your hand and put it in my side. Put your hands in my hands. And the instant that Thomas did that, his doubt turned to faith because he saw with his own eyes. But then Jesus said, Thomas, listen, there's something you need to know. I'm not always going to be able to be here to prove my existence to you in every situation. There's going to come a time when you're going to have to believe for the sake of belief. You're going to have to have faith even when you can't see any of the evidence that what you believe is true. You've got to believe. And he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Have not seen what? Have not seen the evidence that what God said he would do has actually taken place. Listen, there's some of you, God spoke a word to you a long time ago, but you have doubted and you've not seen the evidence of it. Let me remind you today that faith is not walking necessarily by what you see with your natural eye, but it is by what you see with your spiritual eye. And when you connect your spiritual eye with the word of the Lord, you take your eyes off of what the world is trying to get you to believe and you say I believe regardless of my circumstances 
doubt. Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 through 21 says, In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Talking about Jesus now. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come off of you again. And the fig tree withered two days later. A week later. A month later. No, it says... The fig tree withered at once. In other other words, immediately this natural thing withered under the weight of the proclamation of the Son of God. When God speaks, nature listens. Supernatural trumps natural Every day of the week. Now listen, it doesn't mean we don't live in these natural bodies. It doesn't mean that we don't walk out our faith in natural bodies. It just means that when we find ourselves in circumstances where the natural just is not sufficient to see us through, then God is saying, if you walk by faith and walk by my word, there is nothing too hard for me to do working through you. He said, yeah, but he was Jesus. Certainly he possessed that kind of power. Well, let's just read a little more. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them and said, truly, I say to you, if you, say you, if you, you, if you have faith, And do not, what? You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to that mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. You say, well, now why aren't people just walking around the earth saying, mountain, get out of here. Mountain, get out of here. Mountain, get out of here. Because what we command in the name of Jesus has to be in line with the will of God for that circumstance and that situation. I really believe that if I ever needed to speak to a mountain and say be removed into the sea, I really believe that God would give the ability for that to take place. I mean, just ask Joshua, who's in battle one day, and they're winning, and then the sun starts going down, and he knows if the sun goes down now, we're going to be in trouble. And so he speaks to the sun and says, sun, stand still. And the sun obeyed the word of God's man. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm not telling you to go around acting like a fool and calling this and calling that and doing this and saying that and declaring this and declaring that just because it's what you want to see happen in your life, although it may not have anything at all to do with the will of God for your life. I'm not telling you to live like that, but what I am telling you is that when God has given you a word and has declared something over you, 
you have to start living as though it has already taken place in your life. No fear, no doubt whatsoever, but declaring, though I can't see it, I don't know how, because you said it, God, that is enough for me. Doubt. The second thing is, we sometimes deal with this thing called disillusionment. Disillusionment. Again, the dictionary says disillusionment is disappointment resulting from the discovery that something is not as good as one believed it to be. You need me to read that again? Disappointment resulting from the discovery that something is not as good as one believed it to be. A couple of weeks ago, well, it was Easter Sunday, I think, the family was going to get together and we were going to have this meal together and spend some time with kids and the grandkids and all that. And we told Aaron and Justin, you, you know, you guys bring this and Liz and John, you bring this. And Liz said, I'm going to bring this chocolate cake. What was the name of it? Chocolate what? You remember? Anyway, she saw it on social media. I saw it on Pinterest. And when I saw it on Pinterest, everybody laughs when I say Pinterest. Seems weird for me to be on Pinterest, right? I saw a picture of this cake. And I said, man, that looks good to me. It's got peanut butter in it. That's protein, right? That's got to be healthy. It's got chocolate in it. it. The darker the chocolate, I mean, the sweeter the juice. Amen. Chocolate. Had all this stuff on top. I mean... It really looked good. And Liz said, man, that looks good. She said, I'm going to make that. And one of the first things she said is, I know that dad will like that. And I'm going to fix it. She fixed that cake. She came to the house that day and she had that cake sitting there. And she said, all I can tell you is, is that this better be good. <laughs> she said, because this was one of the most difficult cakes that I've made in a long time. She said, it was just hard to make. I did not enjoy it at all. She said, but I'm looking forward to it. I said, me too, man. I've been, I've been looking forward with anticipation. I'm going to eat me some of that cake. And we ate the meal and we ate the food and, and then, you know, kind of push back and kind of let it digest for a few minutes. And then somebody said, how about some cake? And I said, praise God, glory, hallelujah, put the coffee on. She cut a slice of that cake and we all sat down and we started eating that cake. And I noticed that nobody was saying, man, this is good. This is good. Man, this is as good as I thought it would be. I wanted to be real careful because I love it when Elizabeth bakes things for me. I'm her father-in-law and every now and then she just likes to bless me with baked goods and I want her to continue to do it. So I wanted to be very careful. I didn't want to say anything, but to me, it was just a tad bit dry. It didn't taste real good. All the peanut butter had kind of sunk to the bottom, and you couldn't really get your fork around it and all that. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, God, I hope she doesn't ask me if this is good. Because I'm going to have to lie. Because God did not want me to go to hell. He prompted Liz to say, this is awful. 
She said, I do not like this at all. She said, I'm never making this again. She pushed the plate back. And she looked at me and she said, how do you like it, Dad? And I said, I'm with you, baby doll. It ain't nearly as good as I thought it would be. And so we took it off of our Pinterest page because we didn't want to do that ever again. You know what I'm saying? The anticipation did not come up to the reality and the expectation that we had. It looked good. It looked incredible. It looked like it would taste good all the way down to my big toes. The truth of the matter is it didn't taste very good at all. It wasn't her fault. It was the recipe's fault. It just wasn't that great. And so we pushed it aside. And we ate something else that was there and it was good. But anyway, what I'm saying is, is that sometimes we get this mentality of faith that God is going to do a particular thing. Or God is going to put me in a particular position. Or God is going to save this one or save that one or do this or do that. And then when the answer comes, it is not what we expected it to be. And so we become disillusioned. For instance, God provided supernatural manna for the children of Israel. Yet in time, they came to loathe the very thing that came from God's hand. We had a few of our people go see Garth this week. How many of you went to see Garth? Yeah, there's a few of you. I saw your Facebook pictures there having a good time and all that. I just wanted to take a roll and see if there were any who were there but not here this morning. I just, no, I'm just kidding. God, Garth has a song that he sings called Unanswered Prayer. Did he sing it last night, anybody? You know the story. He goes with his wife to an old high school uh, thing and he, he's, he's thinking about this girl that he dated in high school and, and how much he liked her and how that he thought, oh, she'd be the perfect one for me and you know, he, he, he prayed, oh God, what a great blessing it would be in life if you would just make her mine, if, if somehow she could be my wife. And, and the long story short, it didn't work out. And he married, ended up marrying candidate number two. And so he, he, he's married to candidate number two and he goes back and he meets the old flame from his high school days and he starts singing this song. I thank God for unanswered prayer. After he looked at her, and after he saw her, and after he talked to her, this queen bee all of a sudden was more in the skunk family than in the queen bee family, if you know what I mean. And he said, oh, thank God for unanswered prayers. Let me, let me tell you, here's what I'm trying to say. Sometimes we can pray so passionately about something that we feel like is God's will for our life and what our desire is and what we want and then God comes along and does something entirely different and if we're not careful, we can get disillusioned with God because He didn't do things the way that we thought He ought to do them and He didn't bless us the way that we thought He ought to bless us and so instead of being grateful for the blessing that we do have, we want the skunk back in our life and we get disillusioned. And here was this holy bread from heaven in the lives of the Israelites and they ate it 
And over time, their mind moved from the focus of God's blessing to something that they hated and loathed, even though it came from God's own hand. So we have to be careful. Exodus chapter 15, verses 23 through 24. This is just after God had done a miraculous work in their lives. Matthew 15, 23 through 24, excuse me, Exodus. It says, and when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? I mean, just, just a little bit before, they're dancing in the streets. They're, they're singing the old Doobie Brothers song. Taking it to the street, da 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 da. Taking it to the street, no more crying there. Taking it to the street. Miriam grabs up the tambourine and start, you know, gets in the spirit, starts shaking the, the tambourine, starts say shaking her booty, but that's probably not right. Shaking the tambourine. Blessing, praising, having a great time. And then they leave the party and they go out into the wilderness and they get thirsty. And they can't find any water and all of a sudden they're angry. So what are we going to drink now? They're fussing at Moses. I thought you said everything was going to be okay. I thought you said God was going to give us everything we had need of. And now we don't even have enough water to drink. And God provides water. Then in Exodus chapter 16 verses 2 and 3 in the whole congregation of the people... It says the whole congregation. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We're going to starve to death. Here we are sitting by our meat pot or back in Egypt and we were perfectly happy there. You tell us that God has something better for us. And now here we are out here and we're getting ready to die because we, we don't have our meat pots anymore. It's almost as though that their trust is not in God but their trust is in the meat pot. How many times do we do that? I trust in my employer. I'm not really trusting in God. I'm trusting in UPS. I'm not really trusting in God. I'm, I'm trusting in GE. I'm not really trusting in God. I'm trusting in this. Listen, God is our source. God is our portion. God provides everything we need. He may do it through GE, and he may do it through UPS, but if UPS can't cut the check, and if GE can't cut the check, let me tell you, we serve a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power of God that works in us. Disillusionment. I'm not happy with you, God. I'm not happy with your blessings. God, I thought you put this spouse in my life. I prayed about it. I remember praying for 30 seconds when I saw her. 
She the right one for me. But Lord, she ain't been nothing but an old dripping faucet on the top of the roof of a house in Israel since the day we married. God, I thought he was the man for me. I thought he'd be my prince charming. I don't know how he did it. He had a wart on the end of his nose and I never saw it before. It's your fault, God. It's your fault. I prayed about it. And God said, well, see, here's where you missed it. I told you not to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Should I really go there? Or should I back out softly and tenderly? Jesus is calling. Are you a believer? I can be tonight. What do you need me to believe? Because I'm feeling you in more ways than one. And then we come into a relationship that was never ordained by God in the first place. Somebody please say amen. Because I feel like I'm out here all by myself today. We deliberately disobey the word of God. And then five years down the road, we won't say it's your fault. The man upstairs did me in. No, the man upstairs didn't do you in. You did yourself in by choosing your own path that was contrary to the will of God. I still love you. But we get disillusioned with God and we sometimes blame him for things that he didn't do. We disobeyed. God, I'm struggling with my money here. Well, when's the last time you gave? The scripture says, give. It shall be given unto you. God's going to do it in such a way through other individuals that they will meet. I'll never forget years ago. We were in a struggling situation financially. I'm just going to preach today. So if you've got your mind on fried chicken, you need to take a step back for just a minute. My wife and I were young and we hadn't been married very long and had the little kids coming up and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And like many young couples, I mean, we just... We weren't able to make enough money to pay the bills. I told you I had my car repossessed. They said, we, if you don't pay for it, we got to come get it. I said, don't come get it. I'm the pastor of a church. I don't want to see them hooking up my car in the parking lot of the church where I pastored. You tell me where to bring it, I'll bring it. And I took my car to them and they repossessed my car. By the end of the day, I had another car sitting in my driveway that somebody gave me. I, I'm, I'm not telling you that you ought to go out and just get as many bills as you ought to get. My problem wasn't debt. My problem was that I agreed to go to the church for $300 a week. And when I got there, they said, oh, by the way, we lied. We're only going to pay you $150 a week. I said, well, praise God, glory, hallelujah. Get out the peanut brittle tables and let's start making some money. And God helped us. He helped us. To make a long story short, we got into a financial situation 
that I didn't ask for and that I did not create. And I had to go to prayer and say, God, if, if you don't help me, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. I've been paying my tithe faithfully. $15 every week. 15 big dollars. So you were paying me 150. I only had 135 to live on. I've been faithful. I've been giving. I've been doing everything that your logos tells me to do. And God, this is not my financial problem. This is yours. You sent me here. You brought me here. You anointed me to be here. You said you'd take care of me. When you, uh, when you told the disciples to go and preach the word of God, you said don't take anything with you. Don't take a bag. Don't take, don't take anything. I'm going to provide for you as you go forth uh, in, in my will for your life. I want to make a long story short. I didn't ask for it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't beg for it. I didn't say anything to anybody. I just got alone in my prayer closet with God and prayed over our financial need. And that Christmas, somebody brought an envelope by our house and put it in our hands. And when Donna and I opened that Christmas gift that was given to us, it was a check in the amount of $10,000. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Don't believe it. I don't care if you believe it or not. I can verify it. I know that it happened. I know what God did for me. He's given me Oscar Mayer weenies. He's given me checks for $10,000. He's parked old cars in my my driveway that I didn't ask for. God has taken care of me. And I'm telling you today that God will take care of you. But you've got to be willing to trust him. The third thing, and I'm, I'm coming to a close one of these days. These Egyptians that you see today, you'll never see again. I doubt it. I doubt it. Well, if you doubt it, you'll see them again every day of your life from here on out. Because if you doubt instead of having faith... You're unstable in all of your ways and let not that man think he'll receive anything from the Lord. Doubt, disillusionment. Well, God, I see that you did bless me. But I'm not really all that happy with it. I like the leeks and the onions better. It was easier to fry. And then there's death. Doubt, disillusionment, and death. Now, the dictionary describes death as the destruction or permanent end of something. The destruction or permanent end of something. As sad as it is, as as a pastor of many years, I've watched people many, many times through the years as they've come to a place where they made up their mind that I just don't believe that God will do what God says he will do. I just don't believe that God is all powerful. I just don't believe that God's going to heal me. I just don't believe that God's going to save my kid. I just don't believe that God is going to get them off of the drugs and the addictions 
that they're in. I just don't believe that God is ever going to restore my relationship with my spouse. I just don't believe. I just don't believe. I just don't believe I'm ever going to get out of this financial hole. I just don't believe. And we speak death. And we live death. And we pray for death. Because there are days that we feel like death will be easier than to have to continue living in the mess that we're in. And when we come to that place in our mind where we start speaking, God can't do this. God won't do this. God's not able to do this. Then you may be alive physically, but you're dead in every other way. And let me tell you something. There's no need for you to give up. There's no place in the walk of a Christian where you should ever decide this may be my getting off place. No, you keep on walking. You keep on standing in your faith. You, you continue to believe. And when the time is right and the place is right and the right people are in the right place, God will do a miracle on your behalf. Israel had been in bondage to the Egyptian for years and years and years and years. But finally God said, today is the day that I'm going to fight for you. And every Egyptian that you see today, you will never see again. Hallelujah to the Lamb. This is exactly what happened to Judas. Selected by Jesus himself. Had a front row seat at the table of Jesus. He saw Jesus working miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Saw him healing the sick. Raising the dead. Changing the water into wine. Viewed it with his own eyes. Experienced it himself. That's the reason scripture says that it's impossible for anyone who has tasted of the good things of God to turn their back from him. To find repentance and come back. Because the turning of the back is not an accidental movement. It's a determination of the will. I know what God can do. I know he's all powerful. I know he has the strength. But I'm turning my back. It's exactly what happened to Judas. How can you walk step for step? How can you eat bite by bite with the very Son of God? How can you learn every day of your life from the very words of Rabboni, the teacher, the master, and then turn your back? And the end result of Judas was is that he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver and took his own life because of the shame 
of having sold out Jesus. It wasn't the silver. It wasn't the money. It wasn't any of that. It was a willful decision that I just simply don't believe that God is who he says he is and that Jesus is who he says he is. And I'm turning my back on it. It's a place of death. The wages of sin is death. When you know the truth and you reject the truth, it's certain death. Spiritually and physically. Let me tell you something. You're never going to die because there is no annihilation in hell. Yeah, I said hell. If you reject God and his son and you find yourself in hell one day, it won't be for 30 seconds, 30 minutes, 30 days, 30 years. You're going to find yourself eternally separated from the one who could have saved you and died to save you. But because of an act of your own will, you turned your back on the promise and chose your own pathway. But I don't want to close there. Is that okay with you? I promised you four, and I've only given you three. Doubt, disillusionment, death, and discovery. God is all about revealing himself to you. God is all about giving you information that will enable you to change your circumstances. Why did God destroy the Egyptians? Come ahead and start playing, if you will. Let's get ready to close. Why did he do it? Why did God say when Israel was leaving and they're walking and God spoke to Moses and he said, wait, wait, wait. Turn them back. I don't want them to go that way yet. I want you to turn them back so that they can camp right in view of Pharaoh. <clears throat> because when they set up camp right there in front of Pharaoh, I'm going to harden his heart. What? It's what it says. God said, I'm going to harden his heart and he's going to turn against you. But I'm going to show him that there's only one God in Israel. One God. And that I am that's exactly what God did. And he said, here's the reason that I want to do it. 
He knew that the Egyptians would die, the ones pursuing Israel. But there were Egyptians who laid back and remained back because they were not selected by Pharaoh to fight in the battle. So there were the Egyptians that God destroyed and there were the the Egyptians that remained. And God said, here's the reason I want Pharaoh to know that I am the God of Israel. I want him and his testimony to say to those Egyptians, those Egyptians, that he is God. He is God. Listen, sometimes God will allow you to go through things in your life so that his glory can better be seen in your suffering. You're probably not going to hear that on TBN, forgive me. But let me tell you this. He's called us to suffer, to fellowship in his sufferings. Our sufferings are to show forth the glory of God. And he will bring you to a place of victory. And when he does, it will bring glory to his name. Discovery. The people who walked out of this house last week, they said, I don't know. I just don't see how it can happen. You know what? Guarantee you, it won't happen. Because doubt will prevent that thing from happening in their lives. There were others that sounds good to me. Boy, pastor really preached today, didn't he? Man, he spit on about 15 people. I saw it projecting out of his mouth. He got two or three of them right between the eyes. Man, that was good. He, he walked out. He had sweat all in his armpits and he sweat on his brow and his pants were wet in the back. It ain't because he was old. He was sweating, man. Ha! Had one of them old time, holy ghost, Pentecostal. Sounds good to me. Walk out the door and there we are, smacked right in the face. With the reality of the circumstance that we're facing because of our doubt. But there were others who walked out of this house and their faith was high. And they were declaring, I don't know how God's going to do this. But he didn't ask me to figure it out for him. All he asked me to do was just fear not, stand still and watch him work. Because today he's going to fight on my behalf. And the thing that I'm facing today, I'm never going to have to face it again. Because he is fighting my battles for me. People started texting and emailing and calling and all that and said, oh, pastor, I left. My faith was so high and I got home and things were different than I expected them to be. Things were better than I had even hoped that they could be. Things are changing. I can see it. I can feel it in the air. I can hear it through the words that are being spoken. God is doing something that I just know is going to be final in my life. I was walking through the hall the other day 
We're having one of those good days at the office. I mean, things are looking good. Things are good. But Jonathan just came and gave me a report on the daycare. And he said, oh, we're, he said, we're at 19 kids now. Dad said, we're going we're gonna to have to open up the two and three-year-old class next week. And tomorrow, Monday morning, we're opening up a two and three-year-old class because it's coming up and, and things are growing and things are going and, and things are, are, are manifesting as God. God had declared that it would be so. And I slapped him on the back and I said, good job, buddy. I'm proud of you. And I started walking back to my office and I heard him say, dad. And I turned and I looked at him and he said, we have finally turned the corner. And he doesn't know this. I haven't told him this. But pastor, when he said those words, I'm telling you, my spirit leapt inside of me. And and the Holy Ghost spoke to me and he said, and he ain't just talking about the child care. He said, we've turned a corner. We're going a new direction. It's a new day at Spirit Life. I have removed some Egyptians that needed to be removed. And if you'll focus your eyes upon me, it's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new day. Oh, Ushers, will you come? We're going to close this morning with communion and prayer.
before we receive communion this morning, I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit just to remind you. Because you see, communion is about reflection. It's about self-reflection. It's about our relationship with Him. And I just feel like I need to tell you today that the Scripture declares that God will not be mocked. Whoever sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life. What are you sowing? And where are you sowing it? Would you stand with me this morning? Come and receive the elements and then just stay up front if you will and we'll all receive it together.